good is Australia? There's fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms blooms for a concern. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to Decode, the Batuta Advocates political podcast. And this week is another edition of News from the Trough, where myself, Wendell Hussey, talks with my friends and colleagues, Dior Dave and Leslie Burley, about what has been happening in the world of politics. Leslie, you're zooming in again from down in the bush capital. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready. I'm ready to shoot from the hip and have a great episode. Love that. Yeah, we're running in a tight little slot here on Desert Rock FM, so we'll roll through. Dior Dave, you are looking well. Are you feeling well? Are you thinking well? I'm feeling well, always thinking well. It's been a busy couple of weeks in uh, the political world, so mm. I'm keen to dive into it. Heaps happening. Obviously, the Aston by-election, New South Wales state election, all sorts of controversies as well. Uh, we're going to talk about that, but we're going to start off with the quote of the week. I want to know if you guys think it's a clanger or a banger. It comes from Attorney General Mark Dreyfus, who has confirmed the ban on TikTok on government devices. He said, Today I authorise the Secretary of the Attorney General's Department to issue a mandatory direction under the Protective Security Policy Framework to prohibit the TikTok app on devices used by Commonwealth departments and agencies banning TikTok. What do we reckon? Clanger. <laughs> really? I See, I'm here as a banger, but with a caveat. Yep but also not a banger for the reasons he probably thinks it's a banger. Okay. Mm. I just think, you know, our politicians, they don't seem to work as much as they probably should. I think get rid of TikTok, get rid of Instagram, get rid of Facebook, Twitter, everything. They can have Nokia 3310s with Snake, and if they want some downtime, they can play that, but otherwise they need to be working for us. Do some fucking work. I like that, Dior. Mm. That's a good call. I'm probably going to say more clanger. I'm with you, Les. I reckon banning TikTok under the basis that it's like the Chinese government using all of our data, I think is we're basically just towing the US line here. Aren't yeah. We? Like, like Facebook hasn't been particularly good with data. If we remember the US presidential election a few years ago, Cambridge Analytica, where they literally misused all of the data to influence an election. Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand this premise of banning TikTok under that. Although I think TikTok is ruining our attention spans. I think it's the nangs of social media. It puts holes in our brains. So I personally don't like it, but um, I don't think you can go banning it just because they feel like it. Yeah, I think not for the reasons they think it's good, but it's probably not doing as much harm by banning it. As yeah, some people might say it is. But I do agree that, you know, even with our own Australian services, my and whatever, Medicare, all those mm. have had tremendous issues with uh, keeping our data safe. Yeah. So I That's don't know if it. we can go pointing fingers. Oh, between Optus, Medicare, three other services that I may or mm. may not have, there's like <laughs> five There's five Leslie Burleys around the world now with 10 different bank accounts. So I'm just like, <laughs> whatever, go for yeah. it, take it, don't care, done, too Soft late. Is- <laughs> Soft as shit from the Labor government trying to score some easy points. Maybe at I least reckon. if, you know, some of these Chinese people who have built something pretty impressive and tremendous with TikTok that's taken over the world, at least they might do something good with our names. You know, mm. I don't know what all these other people who are stealing our data are doing with our information, but 
you know, I haven't become famous anywhere. I haven't made a lot of money or lost a lot of money anywhere. So You could be famous in another part of the world. You just don't know about it. That's true. I don't know. Finally. I Google my name almost every day, so I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> oh. He does keep tabs. Dave. Oh, well, if we keep going with this show, Dave, maybe it'll come maybe it'll come good sometime soon. <laughs> now, Les, I believe you want to jump into a bit of a political wrap-up of the big, big stories. Take it away. Yeah, look, the short version is that it's not been a good few weeks for Peter Dutton. The long version is as follows. So New South Wales, a couple of weekends ago, after 12 years in opposition, Labor are now in charge of the state. They won the election yep. and they won by a fair bit as well, mm. to say the least. There were significant swings to the Labor Party. There were uneven swings. Some seats were much higher than others, but some seats were hitting about 15, even close to 20 point swings, mm. which is huge. Notably, they picked up seats in Western Sydney, seats like Parramatta and Penrith. They also picked up some regional seats, though. So Terrigal and the Central Coast has now joined Gosford as a big labour area. There's heaps of teachers and nurses mm. in those areas, lots of schools, lots of hospitals. So you can kind of see where this pattern of, you know, your union-based industries yeah. not being happy have kind of had massive labour swings in New South Wales. Yeah. There's also a few seats where the independents really took hold. Uh, so Shout we- out to friend of the show, Judith Hannon. Yes, Congratulations. Judy. Good Independent work. Independent from Wallandilly. She got it done. Yep. Wallandilly, Wakehurst and a couple others. Um, we didn't really see the teal wave or the green slide that mm. we saw in the federal election, but the teals in particular did manage to steal quite a few primary votes from the liberals in certain seats. So I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of try to have a, you know, teal 2.0 in the next election in yep. four years time. Yeah. Run it back. Yeah, but overall, the big news story is that Labor has formed government. They were hoping to kind of just get a majority, but it looks like they probably won't, that they'll Mm. just sit in a minority, but only just. But in saying that, they have so many independents and other people to play nice with that it's probably not going to be as much as an issue as it traditionally would be, being a minority government. Yeah. Yeah, they're not going to be friends with former federal Labor Labor leader Mark Latham. But no. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. No, no one's friends with him at the moment, even Pauline Hanson, but we'll talk about that <laughs> later. Like you said, the votes for the Legislative Council are still coming through, but overall Labor have about eight seats. LNP will have about six. Greens didn't pick up any more. They only have two. And One Nation still has one. Marky uh, Mark. Marky Mark. He's... Yep. Yep, persistent. Yeah, I just want to say on the minority side of things, probably pretty good for democracy, isn't it? The Labor Party is going to have to negotiate on various different things with independents who can push forward um, concerns with their communities. Maybe, just maybe, we'll see something done about the fucking pokies because when it looked like there was a majority, I thought to myself, well, that's it. We're not seeing any change on pokies anytime soon. But Maybe if there's a minority government, might be some action on that. Yeah, and some of those independents have been pushing that reform quite specifically as one of their key campaigns. So, yeah, they're more likely to negotiate with independents than the Liberal Party. So I think Mm. we may see that kind of come through. Interestingly, Mm. in the Legislative Council, Labor had quite a big swing, but not only did the Liberal Party had a decrease, but the Greens actually had a decrease in votes 
for Legislative mm. Council, which was surprising. Um, Legalised yeah. cannabis had a 3.5 swing towards them. There goes your green vote. That's yeah, so it's kind of split there for some reason. Not, I think there'll be some conversations, some debriefs happening there in the Greens party. And the shooters, fishers and farmers lost quite a few votes as well. Um, a few of the independents that are in New South Wales used to be shooters, fishers, farmers, and are now mm. not. So clearly that party is going through some kind of reckoning yeah, as stuff well. Going on. And look, you know, massive agriculture groups buying up farms. There's not as many of your average shooters as your average farmers and your average and your fishers. fishers you know? That's, it's yeah, true. Not that many fishers all being bought up by giant companies. So maybe there's something to do all with right. that. Give a man well, a fish, he's fed for a day, teach him how to vote, he changes party. So Yes, exactly. Well, maybe a, maybe a resurgence in agriculture around some of the devil's lettuce might uh, bring some more votes <laughs> Towards the shooters, fishers, and farmers. Yep, we'll see. In there. We'll see but if Labor think... wants to um, negotiate on that ground. <laughs> yep, I do think it'll be a bit of an interesting dynamic if the uh, legalized cannabis party does win a Senate seat, which it is looking likely at the moment. Yeah, they might. Their number one senator, the one who will get elected, is Jeremy Buckingham, who was previously a Greens member but mm. was kicked out with some controversy around. Uh, his behaviour. His behaviour, yes, towards some of the female party members. So it will be interesting if we start to see some factions emerging on the left side of politics in the New South Wales Senate. It's a wait and see, and see mm. we will. <laughs> Can I give a shout-out to um, Dom Perrottet? Yeah, absolutely. I thought he was particularly gracious yeah, in his he was. defeat. I thought yeah. he like spoke so well. He came out, he said, I accept full responsibility. This is my fault. I'm stepping down. We tried. And I and, and that, you know, might not be remembered. It might just be a moment where like he went and did that. But he he could have taken shots at people. He could have blamed what basically was, you know, twelve years of corruption within his party. But I thought he spoke really well and I thought he basically just said, Yep, credit to the other team. Great job blah, 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 this is my fault, taking a step down. So I just want to shout yeah. out to Dom because I don't think we're going to hear from him for a while. Yeah, probably not. Uh, he probably is going to have some downtime. Absolutely, Perite has yet again kind of shocked people in his capacity to not kind of follow the liberal trend at the moment and actually be a moderate, which we didn't expect him to be. He's been a moderate in his policy and he's been a moderate in the way he's conducted himself as well. Chris Minns, the new Premier, the incoming Labor Premier, actually commented on that too. He spoke mm. very highly of Perite, not his policies and, and what the government had done, but of Perite's behaviour and of the campaign from both sides. And I, I think it's refreshing to see a campaign that wasn't shit-slinging every day. Mm. Yes, there maybe could have been some more clarity around point of difference between the two parties, but I think everyone's a bit tired of the shit sling, mm. so it was refreshing to see. Some nice clean sheets. I don't mind it. <laughs> yes, clean sheets and fresh sheets, if you mm. are asking Chris Minns. This yep. is what he said in his speech. Friends, after 12 years in opposition, the people of New South Wales have voted for a fresh start. <laughs> yeah, so even though the New South Wales election was civil... The Victoria Aston by-election was not so mm. much. That actually was a bit more of a down and dirty uh, negative campaign, and it did win in Labor's favour. So there was a by-election in the seat of Aston, federal seat, 
in Victoria last weekend. The by-election took place due to the prolonged resignation of Alan Tudge, who was the (laughs) The former- The walking scandal. Oh, it's like- the longest season finale that has ever ever, (laughs) ever happened in politics. He was the education minister under Morrison, who's Mm. not even our prime minister anymore, and it took him so long to resign that he actually won his seat in the federal election and then still had to step down. And then because of that, you know, no one was the... MP. So a by-election was called and the Labor candidate Mary Doyle won. There was a 6.4% swing towards her Mm. in less than a year after the federal election. So really that's like a 6.4% swing in that seat's support towards the Albanese government. That's one way that you can kind of look at it. Yeah. And it's a huge, huge deal in the sense that it's the first time in a hundred years that a by-election yeah. has gone against the party who holds it. Yeah, and it, it it's in a seat that was considered a safe liberal seat for a very, very, very long time as well. So it is quite an historic moment. Mm. Unfortunately for Dutton, he spent the whole run-up to it saying that it was a test of his leadership of the Liberal Party, so opposition leader Peter Dutton, And this is what he had to say the morning afterwards on ABC's Insiders. Have you passed, have you failed your own test? Well, again, by not winning the election, uh, we've failed that test that have been set by us, uh, for us by the Victorian people. That's that's the reality. Now, the, the question is how we rebuild from here the policies that we have, the brand rebuilding that we need to do. So, yeah, I think it's obvious to everyone in the room that he failed the test, there's no question about that. Big fat P on that one. Mm. Sorry, yeah. big fat F. Big fat F, big fat F. And speaking of rebrand, his own words, normally this kind of thing would usually kind of start some leadership rumbling, some hashtag lib spill on Twitter. A similar situation happened way back in 2018. If you remember when Prime Minister, then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was ousted from the leadership, actually by Dutton initially, but then Dutton Mm. lost to Morrison. That hot mess of a leadership spill happened in a very similar situation, except there's kind of no one to step up and replace Dutton. So by default, he's kind of safe because Frydenberg, who was being groomed potentially to be the next leader, obviously lost in the last federal election and everyone else is either too tired, too new or too female. So, Mm. yeah, he's kind of got away with it. And he's come out and he said that he's going to turn the Liberal Party into an election-winning machine by 2025, which, again, a bit of a weird one. And he also, the the language he used, he said the Melbourne market is a really hard one for us Mm. um, because they now only hold three seats within Melbourne, the second biggest city in Australia. I find that weird talking about it as a market. It's like you're a politician, you're representing the community, you're supposed to be representing the country as well. These aren't consumers. They're the people you're supposed to be representing. Don't treat them like a market. Treat them like people who you're supposed to be representing who fucking pay your wage, mate. Yeah. Don't, yeah, this whole marketing idea. Like, I get it. You have to market and that's the realism of it. But like talking to people like they're part of a market, weird one. It should be secondary to his job. And his statement around, the Liberal Party becoming an election-winning machine. It's like, actually, no one's asking you to do that. No. Just people are asking people. you 
to yeah. create policy that they want in government, and that is what wins elections. So yeah, he's he's kind of put the cart before the horse a little bit, mm. um, and the fact that he can't see that that rhetoric makes people feel like shit is mm. <laughs> alarming. So he's gonna have to do a bit more than chuck on a new pair of glasses and look a bit smarter. Channel his inner RuPaul to you know <laughs> win over the Melbourne market, as he calls it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Wear a wig, see what you can do. Oh fuck! Um, maybe I'll just some, maybe some stick on eyebrows and a beard. <laughs> he's uh, not a monster. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Peter. I will just wrap up by saying I do find it funny how publicised by-elections get. It's like everyone's so depraved of a bit of a campaign that they get so excited by a by-election. It's like it's one seat out of like 160, yeah. but it gets focused on like it's the biggest thing to happen. And I get it. It's like it is a you know reflection of leadership and how things are going, but I also think we do put a little bit too much weight into yeah, it. Yeah, we do. We dust off Anthony anyway. Green and we wheel him out and yeah. you know, we get very excited, but... Hey. Well, to put it in terms you might understand there, Wendell, I feel like, you know, if the election is the World Cup of the yep. political world, it's yep. nice to have these tests, you know, every mm. once in a while where it's mm -hmm. like, oh, we've seen, you know, we've seen the clubs play, yep. but now it's time to see the big boys go at it and, you know, who yeah, can really okay. top it it's off like, in a non-World Cup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. I, I get that. That's yeah. good. Yeah. All right. Makes it relevant for me. Quickly try and run through now. Marky Mark Latham. He's returned to the public eye down in Sydney in quite an explosive fashion, you could say. The man who was going to be the Prime Minister in 2004 for a little while, mm. it looked like he was going to be the next Prime Minister of the country. Was it, one handshake away, perhaps, from yeah, leading the yeah, country. You could say that. Or one tweet he away. has been re-elected to the New South Wales Senate in state parliament. And he, he's returned to the public eye not because he broke a taxi driver's arm or he got kicked off a show that nobody watched, but because he posted some incredibly rank homophobic tweets about independent Sydney MP Alex Greenwich. Now, won't go into the ins and outs of it. I'm not going to describe it. If you really want to, you can find it on the internet, what he said, um, but you can just take our word for it that it was fucking cooked and crook, and everyone's been hammering him for the language that he used and what he said, and basically... Everyone's calling on something to be done, but everyone's realizing that not a lot can really be done, I don't think, for a couple of reasons. One reason is he's just been re-elected to the Senate for eight years, and so very cheeky from him. He was supposed to be halfway through his term, but what he did is he resigned and then put himself at the top of the One Nation ticket. So he guaranteed himself an extra eight years. So he now is essentially in for eight years and making terrible comments like this doesn't get you kicked out of parliament. It's not threatening national security or it's not a crime or it's not anything like that. So he's not getting kicked out on that behalf. And then the other thing that's happened is Pauline Hanson essentially has no ability to control what he does. He's not picking up the phone. He's just gone AWOL and he's not listening to her and he's not doing anything. So everyone's saying like, Pauline, you need to get rid of this guy from your party. And she's like, well, I can't because he's leaving me on red. Mm. He's pulled so, a brother Perrottet and yeah, just disappeared. Yeah, he, he has gone absolutely missing. David Littleproud, the leader of the Nats, has come out and said, where is the leadership of Pauline Hanson? <laughs> All she's done is gone to ground saying, he won't call me back. We'll take control of your party. Call him and show you that you have some leadership. Interesting from a guy who was letting George Christensen run right, um, contradicting public medical advice yeah. uh, on all sorts of social media. And who are like, uh, we're going to vehemently vote no and marriage equality as well. But 
this this crosses the line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is the thing. This, this is, is the, the real issue. It's also interesting from Pauline as well, like all the shit she'll put up with. It's like, nah, this is the thing that um, I'm going to draw the line at, you know. Yeah. Because <laughs> some of the characters she's brought in, she's also seems surprised too. Like, oh, wow, Mark Latham, I'd, wow, how would he say this kind of stuff? It's like, okay, like just literally a really quick run through of some of the guys she's brought in. Fraser Anning. Remember him? He got mm, egged mm-hmm. for saying horrible stuff about the Christchurch shooting and then turned out to be a neo-Nazi. Rod Cullerton, another One Nation member, got charged with larceny for a run-in with a tow truck driver. And then she was going to run a guy who was part of the Pinken Bar Six who had to quit the party because of his role in kidnapping uh, Indigenous children a few years ago. So, yeah, it's interesting that she's so surprised by it. But I don't know where we stand on it all. I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's just Mark Latham's taken leave. He's like, all right, I'm going to let this blow over. And um feels like he's just going to come back in a few weeks and that'll be that. Yeah, unfortunately, the um, Sexual Discrimination Act is quite a grey area when it comes to things like speaking publicly about sexuality because yeah. it's it's not technically discrimination because he's not talking to someone or, like, firing someone or, mm. yeah, our laws around that stuff aren't actually that tight and that clear, yeah. so he can kind of get away with it from a legal yeah. point of view. Yeah. Yeah, and I just wonder... You know, if it was that bad that even he deleted his own comment on Twitter, will we see the social media company step in? Will we see another reaction to that by him of being cancelled? Will it just be the same old cycle that goes around in the culture Mm. wars of saying something disgusting, getting appropriately condemned for it, and then claiming cancel culture is coming for him? We actually need to see what Elon Musk has to say about it, really, (laughs) before before we move on anything. Yeah, if I mean, he's done looking at emojis of the dog meme and putting that <laughs> on Twitter. I do think there is a little thing worth mentioning on this in terms of it's probably actually done well to the fringes of society who vote for him. There would be a few people out there, obviously wrongly, who would actually be like, mm. that was fucking funny, man. Mm. Like, He's just saying what, I mean? what we're all thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'd be, old, yeah. Like, there'd, there'd be plenty of particularly older Australians who I would assume think that is – like a funny sledge. They've heard it on a building site or they've heard it in a boardroom or they've heard it in those kind of places and they would be like, oh, that was funny from Mark Latham and that's something that, you know, as you said, leans into that like anti-culture wars, that anti-PC, mm. um, anti-PC behaviour. So I wonder if, yeah, it's actually going to have worked and got him a little bit of publicity even though, you know, he's been condemned and slammed by the same people that always condemn people like him. Yeah, it's also important to note what someone says online is a fraction of what they would say privately. Oh, yeah. Mm. So yeah. you just know that he's saying stuff like that yeah. around that, that people is... who may be voting for him. You just know. Yes. Yeah, it, so... it is the yeah definition of dog whistling, isn't it? Yeah, well, we have a long eight years ahead with him still in there. Yeah, but I think we should move long on. long whistle. Mm. Yep, I think it's probably time to move on to our last segment. The bosses at Desert Rock FM Radio are banging on the doors telling us to get out of here. The climate safeguard mechanism. We spoke a little bit about this in our last News from the Trough episode, but I won't bore you with the details again. Just quickly to summarise, it was one of Labor's main election promises, their primary piece of legislation to tackle the climate crisis. Uh, It's trying to impose limits on the 215 largest polluting facilities in Australia and force companies to reduce their emissions every year until 2030. The way they do this is by either actually cutting their own emissions or through buying carbon offset credits from other companies 
which essentially allows them to continue polluting as long as they pay someone else to pick up the slack. Mm. Now, what's and happened- we know that those credits are dodgy as fuck. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. In the last little while, Labor have been locked in negotiations with crossbenchers to secure numbers to pass this legislation, but they've come out the other side and created what Sky News have dubbed an unholy alliance between them and the Greens, what others might actually just call working across the political spectrum and you doing know, their sec- job. Exactly. That's it. But the Green support for this policy requires the government to include a hard cap on emissions, which Greens leader Adam Bant has said will stop new and expanded projects that would have contributed to high emissions output. Originally, the Greens wanted a full ban on any new coal and gas projects. But I think Adam Bant has been in politics for a while dealing Mm. with the Labour Party. He quickly realized that that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> he said that negotiating with Labor is like negotiating with the political wing of the coal and gas corporations, and Labor seems more afraid of the coal and gas corporations than the climate collapse. Correct. But the Greens are confident that their additions to this legislation will make it much harder, if not near impossible, to open new coal and gas projects. So that piece of legislation will probably be passed by July the 1st, I believe. And Greens are now calling it a win. They're saying that was actually... And Mm. it is a win, obviously. It's a win, but not as much of a win as the Greens were hoping for. Yeah, Labor's calling it a win as well. Some may say it's a draw. Hmm, (laughs) weird. Everyone's a winner. Mm. Yep. Always happens like that. (laughs) But the coalition, one party or two parties that aren't a winner in this situation, they've been left to sit on the sidelines. They've refused to support this piece of legislation, citing concerns about hurting the Australian economy, impacting business and industries by forcing caps on emissions. Nothing that should be news to anyone who's been following literally anything the Liberal Party has said about action on climate change. The Shadow Climate Change Minister Ted O'Brien said, in order for Australia to decarbonise our economy, we have to get the balance right between cutting emissions and allowing the economy to grow. I'm not sure how allowing the economy to grow helps to decarbonise our economy. But... (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has taken a bit of a swipe at the coalition. I think he's riding quite high on his own supply uh, after the two recent election losses. And his poll bump that came over the weekend is doing well. Exactly, exactly. I think if nothing else, it has just made the job a lot easier for Labor to look like the model of rational progressive government that they tried to present themselves as. Mm. But he said that it says a lot about the state of the Liberal and National Parties in 2023 that in spite of the election result, they have excluded themselves from any participation. So all in all, it looks like we're finally going to see some action taken on climate change in federal parliament, but will it be enough to actually make a difference or will it just be enough for the Labor Party to say that they did something about it? We'll see what happens in the future. Yeah, we will. Everyone's a winner. That's my takeaway. We're all winners apparently. Mm -hmm. That's what they're telling us. Yeah, I definitely feel like a winner when I'm investing in camping gear in case, you know, the floods come and I can't live where I live anymore. (laughs) So everything's fine. We've all won. How good. What a positive note to finish the show on. We're getting rushed out of the studio. Thanks very much for your time. Love to chat to you guys. Talk soon. Bye-bye.